It's another edition of the Shea Anything Podcast. Doug Williams alongside Andy Martino. Um, Andy. Hi, Doug. How are you? You're busy. I'm, I'm good. I'm busy. We're delayed in even starting this because I was on a phone call, and it's just it's the way life goes. I, I made everybody wait, and I, 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 I at least am the kind of person to feel bad about that. I was actually thinking about it. You were on the phone with a, a, a pretty great source, mm-hmm. um, and you had to go. How, how do you do how that? How do you do it? I could. If you are asking someone for information, like you're the reporter, but you, you know, and they're you nice to enough go. to call me back. Right. Um, well, I let him. I I let him talk for for a long time, and realized that the primary um, objective of what SMY pays me to do is to have information. So I prioritized it over the beginning of the podcast, especially because it wasn't live television. Right. Uh, but at the expense of the convenience of you and the crew that does it. So it's a, it's a delicate balancing act, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, so today in, in Metzland, Andy, was uh, Jacob deGrom was on the mound. He didn't p- pitch uh, particularly well, not that that matters much. Uh, he's just getting his work in, um, and I'm sure he's being hard on himself, and I'm sure that he cares about the results. But, again, as, as for pitching and starting pitching in, in – Spring training, I'm not entirely sure how much results matter. I guess kind of one of these weirdly big themes over the past, I don't know, week has been advisors. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Franco, Leiter, Jessica Mendoza, all hired to be inside the Mets organization. In addition to Ruben Amaro, Allard Baird, Omar Minaya, right. it was already a pretty full front office. And we, you and I have talked on the podcast about the people that, Brody has decided to surround himself with. And David Wright is on that list. Oh, you know, right. Yeah, he, David Wright. He wanted to surround himself with as many good, knowledgeable people and good people, you've emphasized. Like, he, he wants uh, good personalities, people with good foundations to come and work for him and with him. Um, what's each of these people going to do? Because I'm so used to hearing these titles and just thinking, ah, oh, it's title only. You know, it's like, they show up for a couple weeks here and there. Maybe they help. Maybe they give some advice. But I'm not sure how much this actually matters. Does each one of these people really, really matter to the Mets? The one of, of all these recent ones, the one that's really significant is Jessica Mendoza. She's a meaningful member of the Mets front office, someone who uh, Brody used in his, as an example of someone he'd like to hire in his initial presentation to Fred and Jeff Wilpon back when he was interviewing for the job and something so they were working on in some way for a while. Uh, he know, There's so many connections there. They both went to Stanford. Uh, Mendoza's represented by CAA. Mendoza's on the board of a foundation, or an organization that uh, Van Wagenen's wife is on. So they clearly know each other well. And Brody targeted her as somebody who he wanted in his front office. And she, well, I wouldn't expect Al Leiter and John Franco to be in the room at the winter meetings. I'm not reporting that they definitely won't be, but those seem like more... You're going to rove around, you're going to instruct people, you're going to provide feedback and have value that way, where Mendoza will be part of the contingent at the winter meetings, like David Wright was this past year. And Wright had significant input into the personnel moves that that Brody was considering. And you know all the secrets, too. When we walk in the winter meeting suite to do our briefing as a media, they cover up all the boards, they flip over all the papers, all, there's all this like top secret stuff 
that Mendoza will be privy to. She is someone to watch as an executive in the game now, uh, even though she's still a broadcaster. And a successful one. Yeah. Um, I like that you made that point because that's what makes it feel real to me. Like you, you amongst other members of the media, go to the winter meetings and suddenly and there's Jesse the Mendoza there secrets. and she's representing the Mets. She's not there to ask questions. She might be there to answer them from sources. Uh, right. So that's an interesting uh, kind of transformation. And also what... I found interesting was this mixture, right? So as soon as the Jessica Mendoza thing was announced, there were people who said, why are so many people in the media, A-Rod in the booth with Jessica Mendoza is another example of that. Why are people in the media getting jobs in teams front offices, which I think is a fair question. Do I think it's fair that necessarily a lot of people suddenly had that opinion when Jessica Mendoza, a, a woman that, was that, hired? That's sexism, that, yeah, plain but, and simple. But I think... If you separate those two, if you had an issue before Jessica Mendoza was hired uh, with A-Rod having a job like that, with Al Leiter having a job like that, what do you think of that? What do you think of being a player and knowing you're on Sunday Night Baseball and knowing that you have a friendly in the booth talking about you on a nightly basis? I think there's so many conflicts in sports media, uh, none of which are ideal, uh, that to cherry pick the first woman to have one is awfully convenient. That's what I think. But I'm saying if you take that out of it. But so, no, but I'm answering your question. Like, I don't think it's great. And, yeah. But it, it is so widespread that uh, I, it, the issues weren't raised the day before when the Mets announced the lighter hire. And the issues maybe were slightly raised with the A-Rod thing, but not really. A-Rod was in Miami in uniform before a game last year tutoring Miguel Andujar on third base defense as an ESPN and Fox employee, nobody's, nobody was like teaching a journalism ethics class on that. It, 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 it's the way of the world. So I believe that it was only brought up in her case because of sexism. Also, don't you think that, and this is just, I'm not making a, a great point here, but this is just, I guess, my opinion. Local announcers that travel with the team all year have more, there's more importance on their objectivity than national announcers. Like, do you really watch Sunday Night Baseball for the hard-hitting comments on, on the two teams that are playing? Well, that that's a good point. I think the other way to look at that could be that um, a lot of times, we're very lucky at SNY that it's not like this, but a lot of times, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's very... Part of, not, part of the point <laughs> I'm making, by yeah. the way. So, but in a lot of cases, the teams do try to look at their booth as more of a PR arm of the team. Uh, no one's going to tell Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling that you're part of the PR uh, operation. Absolutely not. And so they know not to, and they are, they are just delightfully independent, truly. We see how the sausage is made, and those guys say what is on their mind. Uh, so, but to your point, I think that it's probably more common for local people to be more conf like part of the organization exactly. than for national people to be. Uh, but A-Rod is, Lighter is. There must be others. John, well, John Hart no longer is with the Braves, but he was with the Rangers when he was on MLB Network for years. There's just so many of these. Uh, it's not how they taught it in journalism school. Uh, it's not ideal because your primary responsibility is to tell the truth to your audience if you're in the media and not to like protect your employer if it's right. another employer. It gets complicated. Um, but again... I just don't, Jessica Mendoza certainly is not any more of a case study for this than anyone else. Correct me if I'm wrong. The feel ever since Brody got the job has been that 
and I don't know if this is actually correct, and I'm not asking for you to correct me there, I want you to either agree or disagree with this premise. A lot of people have wanted to work with Brody. A lot of people have wanted to be in this front office. It seems like he got everybody he wanted. I don't know that. I mean, that's he got what a lot. it looks like. And I'm sorry. <laughs> How many more people could he have wanted? He hired half a baseball. I know. He hired half a baseball. In my opinion, that is, that's a good move. It's a good PR move. If you are looking from the outside and you see that Brody has hired everybody he wanted to from the Red Sox organization, everybody he wanted to from the media, a lot of, of former Mets players, David Wright, John Franco, Al Leiter, everybody wanted to come work with him. That looks good. And there's something to be said for that. David Wright loves him. Uh, Mendoza obviously likes him to enter into something like this. He, look, he is a very amiable guy. He is by nature a salesman, and I, we've said this before, but I don't mean that as a derogatory thing. He knows how to get in a room and convince an owner or a GM to give millions of dollars to the player he represents, or vice versa. Now that he's on the other side, he knows how to convince someone to do a trade with him. Or he, if he, I, I bet you, this, I haven't had this experience personally, but I bet you if Brody Van Wagenen gets you in a room and says, I want you on my team, he probably knows how to close that. Yeah, agents have an ability to do that. And I was having this conversation with uh, Todd Zeal last week. We were talking about Scott Boris and, you know, if you're Dallas Keuchel, or do you get mad at your agent if you don't have a deal yet? Or if you're Bryce Harper, is it tough to go through an entire offseason? And he was saying that, that what these guys do is they have hundreds of clients, a lot of them, but they make you feel special. Like, I can do this for you. Mm-hmm. So Brody has that skill set. I yeah, mean, right. obviously, without me knowing it personally, I've never been, uh, I've never been wooed by Brody Van Wagenen. <laughs> no, have I. But he has that skill set, which is, I'm sure, so important to making someone like Jessica Mendoza feel like you are vital and, yeah. and I think Brody actually believes that. I think he does, too. Mendoza He's too. excited. I, I, beyond, like, the statements and stuff, I've got the feeling that Brody's really excited he's able to make this hire because he intended to do it from day one. Speaking of salesman Brody, and again, not, uh, you know, derogatory statement, he's got this first base decision looming that I think may tell us a little bit about the GM mm-hmm. um, because he has come out and said... We're going to bring the 25 best players. Um, Basically, in saying that, insinuating that he doesn't necessarily care about the Pete Alonso year of control beyond the couple weeks that he could stay. So would we find out, in your your opinion, whether or not he was saying that to give Mets fans a good soundbite versus realizing that it's his duty to make good business decisions. Will that show us something about Brody? That's a great question. I, if he, if Alonzo doesn't make the team and ha- continues to have a decent spring, uh, he, Brody will be accused of going back on what he said. I would argue that he said it generically enough that he wouldn't actually be going back on it, in that he said, like, well, we want to give him every chance or blah, blah, blah. Like, if Dom Smith is there, right there, comparable... Uh, quality talent wise or production wise in the spring and obviously it's well established he's a significantly better defender and is in a much more favorable roster situation to make the team if it just makes more sense he could put a cogent argument that it makes more sense to start the year with Dom Smith and then see how it goes so uh, some Mets fans will be mad for sure if that's how it goes down it will be I mean you know it's not my opinion Doug that this is the slam dunk decision of the century it's a fact 
and uh, you're costing yourself. It's your opinion that it's a fact. That's correct, which makes it a fact. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah. I was I just, waiting to see if you're going to pick up on what no, I, 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 I worded. No, I need you to know that it's your opinion. But just I for need the you to know that it's actually an objective fact that to call, you have a good player in Dom Smith right there who needs a chance because he still could be a good player for you totally for years agree to come. With, totally agree with And this. you have a year of control to lose on another good player, Pete Alonso, that it is, there's no scenario where a healthy, decently productive Dom Smith is not a better choice than Pete Alonso for opening day. Back to the first thing you said about Brody maybe being able to sell it as, well, I just, you know, I was talking generically. People won't buy that. No, because the first thing that I remember about Brody Van Wagen and after his introductory press conference was him in San Diego saying, I took Pete Alonso out to dinner. Uh, And and it seemed like it was like the first thing on Brody's agenda uh, in talking directly to Mets fans was, I am seriously considering calling up this exciting prospect to come hit dingers for you starting on opening day. So... For that to suddenly go away, I think, would have Mets fans being like, well, what was that all about? However, um, two things can be true at once. I think Dom Smith, as of right now, deserves to be the opening day first baseman. There is enough of a uh, pro and cons list differential. The pros for Dom Smith starting Mm -hmm. opening day just significantly outweigh the pros of Pete Alonso starting opening day. Um, But I... I find Dom Smith to be fascinating for a couple reasons because I don't believe he's gotten a firm chance to show the player he is. Um, But I also think that he's fascinating because we came into the spring thinking if he had a great spring, it would mean more to another team. It would mean more uh, to potentially mean he's a trade chip for the Mets. It may yet mean that. You you still think that's a possibility? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I bet you Brody's got deals he could do tomorrow with Darno and deals he could do tomorrow with Smith if he wanted to. He's probably put framework in place for that's that's how we he's on the phone all day. Right. That's probably what he so. But I just think that you probably Smith probably needs to rebuild a little more value to get anything you want for him. Uh, but if he, it's not out of the realm of possibility he has an amazing spring and gets traded at the end of it. You, speaking of Darno, I actually wasn't planning on going here, but I forgot to circle back with you on this you tweeted somebody tweeted at you like please tell me darno's not going to get cut and you said he is not he is not that's i think that's a small newsworthy bit there is because it? isn't it because his technically the mets don't have a lot to lose on his salary uh, they can in theory because it's a non-guaranteed arbitration year contract they can save a significant percentage on i believe march 15th by cutting them and then another percentage by opening day that's not going to happen they're not cutting him. Okay, they may trade him. They may trade him. Okay. I think when, when you said they're not going to cut him, <laughs> a lot of people, maybe including myself, thought that meant immediately, and that's not your fault, that's mine. Okay, Travis Darnot's going to be on the roster. No, not necessarily. I, but there is, I, the person I think, I think was asking me about that cutting thing, because like, they, they could sort of like almost like a late non-tender and save money. Right. And, and people go, people are looking at that as maybe a cost-cut saving measure for him, but it doesn't make sense for Darno to do that because he's he just caught for the first time today. You can't get a full evaluation of him in time to do that, especially March 15th. Um, but he has more value than cutting him to save a couple million dollars. You could trade him, and you could put him in AAA. You could put him in extended spring. Uh, you could... Uh, Mesoraco... He has a complicated opt-out where 
if he has a if, if one of the other 29 teams can guarantee Mesoraco a roster spot at the end of spring and the Mets can't, he gets to go to one of those teams. But if that doesn't happen, none of the other 29 teams want him on their major league roster. He has to go to AAA for the Mets. Got it? Feels like no. That's his. That's his deal. Mesoraco feels like a lock because of how important Jacob Degrom is to their team. He's likely. Uh, they value like, Darno with every possible opportunity. I think Mesoraco's got a leg up to be on the team more. By than the way, Darno. I could see you're still pressing your home button on your iPhone, even though you have a new one and it doesn't have a home button. It's true. Degrom, I set up the facial recognition thing. Which is really cool. But the problem is it needs to see your face. Well, now it is. Yeah. Um, Amazing. DeGrom, in every possible opportunity that he's given, mm-hmm. sings the praises of, of Devin Mesoraco. That's got to mean something to somebody. Definitely. And I think it means something to DeGrom that he's saying that. Definitely. You know, he's a careful speaker. He, oh, he's, yeah. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yes. Um, one other topic you and I first just started discussing yesterday involves another member of the Mets pitching staff, and that's Noah Syndergaard. Um, I SNY Instagram something a couple weeks ago, um, and I, I can't remember when Syndergaard put it out there, and I know he's quoting. Um, you know, it's something like, I, I came here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's a photo of Syndergaard. And um, one of the first comments that I saw was, like, easy. We've been here before. And One of the reader comments. Yeah. yeah. And it got me thinking. And Mets fans, I, I know you guys are listening and, and you have opinions about everything we talk about. And I specifically would like to hear from you on this because when you were reporting this offseason, Andy, that Noah Syndergaard may, may be dealt, maybe dealt even to the Yankees, met, there was an uproar um, from Mets fans. They clearly felt compelled to tell you they did not want Noah Syndergaard to get traded. Do you believe that he is one more inconsistent, uh, unhealthy, uh, hittable year away from that love wearing off? That would be a great question to ask the room at the QBC. It would. Uh, Because I'm obviously not as connected to fan feeling as they are. They're fans, right? So uh, all of you who are out there listening that, that were there or who were just absolutely apoplectic that they might trade Syndergaard, weigh in on this. I, I, I think it's a good question. I think that the love for Syndergaard and the fan base is so striking. And when I mentioned at the QBC, when I mentioned that they might have traded him, people were like booing the idea retroactively. And I, I remember being like, you guys really like this guy. And they're like, yeah. It's like, is it the hair? They're like, it's everything, the hair, the social media. They just love the persona. His engagement strategy obviously has worked. And you're asking... At what point does he have to put together a full season of like quality major league pitching to right. keep I, it up? And I know that a he's, good question. he's one of those guys where you look at the numbers, they've always been good. They've never been bad. Uh, it's just a matter of how much does the fan base weigh those things you just mentioned versus the fact that the last two years, what's happened has happened and that this is going to be a very important season for him. And I think, Andy, to go back to the room at the QBC, why is it like that? with this pitcher particularly. You remember you were talking about spring training this year and and the feeling, you know, Robbie Cano's there with A-Rod and Mm -hmm. how there's more cars in the parking lot and and more fans asking for autographs. That, to me, feels like part of this. Noah Syndergaard being on the Mets has meant more from a national standpoint Mm -hmm. than uh, John Neese or Dylan G being on the Mets. And 
Syndergaard throws 100, and he's got this long blonde hair. He's got this superhero persona. He's got this Twitter account. But that might mean nothing on the field, but it means, I think, a lot to fans who want the Mets to be on the national network. Sure, and there's nothing wrong with, especially if you're a Mets fan and you're used to the Yankees being the toast of the town, to have that star power in Queens. Absolutely. That is valuable. But from a standpoint of winning, which is ultimately the thing that fans like the most, he has not yet contributed as much as his talent suggested he could. So you're at, like the question is, at what point does he have to just pitch well all year, win some playoff? I mean, he pitched amazing in a playoff game against Madison Bumgarner. Yes. So I'm not saying he hasn't done anything, but you, he's missed time. He's been hurt. He's been inconsistent. He had that little... A flap not getting in the MRI tube when Sandy Alderson wanted him to. Things like that that haven't caught up with him uh, in terms of likability. Um, yeah, he's, look, it's all about results. They're not going to love you if you're 4-11, and 11, no matter who you are. I was watching. I'm not saying he will be. I'm right. just saying. And, and it occurred to me earlier in the spring, too. You know, it was pouring rain uh, at, in Port St. Lucie. Everybody has decided to work out inside, it seemed like, except for him. And a lot of the writers tweeting out photos in the rain of Syndergaard throwing and he just he likes the idea of of, of going so, uh, going places that no one else it seems wants to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking you at what point mm-hmm. will they turn on him. I'm asking, in your sense, do you feel like it's wearing thin, or do you think Mets fans will have this guy's back until? I, it doesn't feel to me. I haven't seen anything to suggest it's wearing thin. Yeah. He seems beloved to me. My my most recent experience with it was at the QBC. You saw that Instagram comment, which is. You know, one one thing you saw, I personally haven't seen any evidence that he's... But again, I connect... My job is so disconnected, in some sense, from the fan base because I'm trying to get information from baseball people and relate it to the fan base. So I'm probably not the one to say. Yeah, and, you know, the QBC is one of the reasons why I loved doing it. Yeah, same. It it brought us closer to our listeners and our viewers, and I do think it's a, a... a monumental season for the career of Noah Syndergaard. I'm not sure how how dependent on him the Mets are as a team. I think they're fairly dependent on him. But my since I started the job at SNY, the the highlight of every Mets season has been some sort of starting pitching, whether it's been good or bad, whether it was DeGrom winning the Cy Young, Matt Harvey getting DFA'd and then traded, Noah Syndergaard coming up, Steven Matz coming up, and doing things with the bat and, and, and kind of Zach Wheeler going through this crazy couple years where he couldn't get healthy and then suddenly he's here. You know, I started at SNY in 20, late 2014, I believe. So ever since then, these five guys have been everything to this team. They have gone as they have gone in some ways and in other ways, shockingly, Jacob deGrom's season, perfect example, didn't end up mattering that much to the, that team last year. So we are close to figuring out what all of these guys have going forward, mm-hmm. whether their futures are tied to the Mets. And I think Noah Syndergaard, there's a lot to be seen, whether he remains a Met long-term. I mean, how close do you think they got to trading him? And do you think that they, just because they didn't get it done, are like, okay, that idea was, was silly. We are so far past that. They got close in the sense that they were – one million percent ready to do it if they'd gotten uh, offers that they thought that they liked and they didn't. That thought process doesn't go away. Well, you know what, though? I think they did discover how much he meant to the fan base through that. 
And I'm sure that's something to add to the equation going forward to that. So, yes, they were willing to trade him as a player, but then when they, I mean, as a, as a business decision, if there was that much of an outcry about it, then... Do you think they learned something? They I'm not saying they won't look into it again. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do sorry. you think they learned something about his value that they didn't know before? Yes, I do. He didn't have as much as they thought, probably. Uh, and I say that because he couldn't get them a Fernando Tatis Jr., say. or I mean, there was a time, I remember John Harper wrote a good column late in the season, like, what about Syndergaard for Yelich? And Mets fans were, like went crazy on Harper, like, Syndergaard for Yelich, are you crazy? Which, come on. So, they, forget about Yelich, or then there was some suggestion about Arenado before he signed. Or, you can't even get a, the top prospect of a team for Syndergaard. So, uh, why trade him if you can't get something that good? And that's where the Mets ended up. Uh, quick Spring training, less big picture topic for you before we get to my Saturday night, which seems like we haven't done in forever. Uh, Jed Lowry, Todd Frazier, I don't know when they'll be back. I don't think anyone knows for sure when they'll be back. No one knows. Do you know who the Mets are valuing highly in terms of third base, like Denny Echeverria, J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil? Where you know? I think Davis is going to get every chance. He, they like him a lot. They found him, so that helps yeah. give him a leg up. You have pride in the guy you yeah. found. Uh, but that doesn't mean at all costs you give him the opportunity. Echeverria will not hit much, but he can play third. Ideally, he's in a bit more of a utility role. Um, but he could if he had to. And McNeil, I do think, look, the thing about McNeil, just logic will dictate at a certain point. Let's see. We've got nine outfielders we like and one infielder. So maybe McNeil should play third for a while. That'll, that'll play out. I think all those guys will get at bats at third in April. I can't wait for the Mets to sign an outfielder every four days and still play Jeff McNeil in the outfield. Jeff McNeil is now our 11th outfielder, but we like him. Why do you think they – you had a column about this today, so I, I, I do want to get your opinion about it. Why do you think the Mets traded for Keon Broxton, signed uh, Carlos Gomez and Rajay Davis and Gregor Blanco? Um, they, they have Gregor Blanco, right? Is that yeah, the, they do. Yeah, they do. It's hard to keep track of all the, okay, that guy, kind of um, outfielders they signed. Did why, you say Carlos Gomez? I did. You did, okay. Why all those guys and not Adam Jones? Uh, those guys aren't as good as Adam Jones, and they're all minor league deals. So they were looking in a different aisle for, for, to fill that position. That's a good way and to And to be fair, they were in, I, I shouldn't say they're not as good, but they're better center fielders than Adam Jones was. The Mets have Nimmo and Conforto, both of whom they like on the corners, and they hope Cespedes at some point on a corner. So they were actually looking more for center field depth. Jones is no longer a center fielder, period. Uh, so that was part of the issue. They couldn't promise him at bats because – like, like, if they're negotiating with Adam Jones, like, well, we got Conforto and Nimmo, so if they're healthy, you want to sit on our bench? Adam Jones isn't going to do that. Uh, yeah. So those are the reasons why it wasn't a fit. And I, I, I don't know exactly what his ask has been, but I know it's been higher than the guys who ultimately were willing to take minor league deals like Carlos Gomez. Greg Jones Blanco confirmed on the Mets. But by the way, <laughs> how different? I mean, I, I remember being in Port St. Lucie when um, – what was his name? He's an outfielder in the Nats organization. And he was had former big league time. And Roger Bernadina. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he former was Matt. the only, like, triple uh, <laughs> A outfielder the Mets were going to have with any big league experience. It was Travis Tyrone behind him. Gosh. And what a time. we've come a, a long time to be way alive. from, I'm surprised the Mets haven't signed Carlos Gonzalez yet. That seems like that 
If they can get cargo for like one well, year, two and a half million. Him and Jones, it's, it, I know you're being facetious, but him and Jones are kind of the same category of we can't promise you enough at bats. Right. Carlos Gomez, hey, it's, it's March. You don't have anything. You want a minor league deal? Okay, fine. I'll take a minor league deal. Jones uh, and Marcakis took a major league deal, but it was a, a very small deal in Atlanta. Jones and Marcakis, uh, a person who knows both of those players, was telling me uh, earlier that Marcakis is the kind of guy to be like, all right, I'll take what I can get. I made my money. Whereas Jones is the kind of guy who's prideful enough to say, I'm 33 years old. I'm a big league player. I'm not. Come on. Like, pay me what we all know I'm worth. Um, in fact, one person who knows Jones suggested that he may sit out rather than take a deal that he doesn't think uh, is at his level. But then you're not making anything. Yeah, but it's more like, fine, I'll go home. I made my money. You know, I'm not reporting this uh, as something that's like, an on, like, I'm not sources Jones may retire, but I'm saying that like, he's prideful enough hmm. where if no team offers him a major league deal, he might not take a minor league deal. I'd rather not play than take your insulting offer. Yeah. Yeah, I understand it. I get it. Uh, what'd you do on Saturday night? You're not gonna. I really hate that I have to discuss this because I get accused of disliking things that other people like. So I gave. Occasionally, we call Andy a contrarian. Uh, uh, he hates it. It sucks. Well, you know what else I hated, Doug? The 2018 film A Star Is Born. It was one of the worst movies I've seen in okay. years. Oh, and I right. gave it a chance, and it was so bad. And and that was what I did Saturday. What'd it's you not do? my favorite movie. I thought you said that you really liked it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I feel like it. I heard you say that. I enjoyed it. I don't it was so come away from movies a lot having a really strong opinion. Uh, like, there's not many movies that I've seen and been like, I hated that or I loved that. Mm-hmm. Normally, I come, I, I come out of a movie, I'm like, that was entertaining. I'm glad I saw that. Is that movies or is that just who you are? Like, do you not have extremes of emotion? I, I, I think I do. I'd like to give myself credit for being able to feel emotion. I just, Is it possible that we've a learned lot of something movies, deeper? Like, for example, la- I watched Bohemian Rhapsody last night. <laughs> I came, I came out, I came out uh. of Bohemian Rhapsody like, yeah, it was, that was entertaining. Like, yeah, I was. knew that there were issues with the movie. Right. But, like, I'm not, it's not my job to, like, scream about them. No, well, me neither, but I got to do this Saturday night thing. Okay. Well. What do you do? Uh... Saturday night last week was kind of carryover from celebrating my birthday, which was last week. So my girlfriend was in town, and um, we were with a bunch of her friends on Saturday afternoon. Then we came back. We had leftovers Saturday night and relaxed. Happy we, birthday. Thank Funny you. thing about Doug, you guys don't know this. We always kid him for being young. You're actually 51. I've got a lot I, no, of work done. Actually, 63. A lot of work done. Yeah. Um, it, everybody is always shocked that, you know, I was born. Doesn't your brother work at another network, your, your older brother? Yeah, yeah, that's it's my brother. Not uh, the internet seems to think he's my dad, but um, anywho, any, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. As always, don't forget to to tweet us at Martino NYC for some reason at Doug Williams SNY. There's a reason. Um, and uh, we'd love to chat with you as always. We'll be back with you talking Mets here on Shay Anything next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>